Hello and welcome to the 7th Avenue Project. I'm Robert Polly. Today on the show, I've got a truly multifaceted musician, the guitarist and composer DJ Spar. Musically speaking, DJ covers a lot of ground. You want classical? He can play that. You want a face-melting rock solo? He can do that too. And he also writes a wide variety of music for orchestra and chamber ensembles and other groups like this. DJ started out wanting to be a country music guitarist when he was just a toddler. Then he moved on to rock as a teenager and later classical. Now he combines them all. Case in point, a performance he gave last night at the Cabrillo Festival of Contemporary Music. He was a soloist in Michael Doherty's Concerto for Electric Guitar and Orchestra called G's Bend. It combines all kinds of influences, from blues to rock to country, and is thus a perfect piece for DJ to strut his stylistic range. And by the way, uh, those of you who missed the performance or who attended and want to hear it again, you're in luck. KOSP recorded the concert and we'll be broadcasting it on Tuesday, August 23rd at 7 p.m. It's part of our ongoing Cabrillo Festival broadcast, about which you can learn more at KUSP.org, our website. Anyway, DJ Spar stopped by our studio before the concert to talk about and share some of his music. And as you'll hear, he happened to bring one of his guitars. It was a real treat, so do listen in. Well, DJ, it's great to have you here. It's great to be here. Thank you for having me. When did you become DJ? Uh, when I was born. My parents <laughs> named me Donald Joseph Spar Jr., and my dad's friend had called him DJ. So uh, from the very beginning, I've been DJ, and the Donald Joseph, to me, is just a, like an alter ego that has to deal with um, like Bank of America and the IRS. <laughs> so if someone calls and asks for Donald, I sometimes say, he's not here. Can you call back later? <laughs> but, but being a musician and having uh, the, the name DJ, that must cause some confusion now and then. It did, yeah. Especially caused confusion when I kind of took a little break from composing, and I worked in a record label in L.A., uh, kind of an indie rock startup record label, and I would call and say, this is DJ Spar, and they would say, oh, and they were very <laughs> confused. And I realized that sort of the advent of the, the sort of hip-hop mm-hmm. lingo is what changed my name to a lot of people. And actually, when I was a graduate teaching assistant at Michigan, some of the younger music theater majors thought that I called myself DJ Spar, which to <laughs> me is p- petrifying. Um, so mainly that means whenever a new social networking tool comes out, I log in and get it as quick as I can so that if Sony ever, you know, Sony should know that I've been going business-wise DJ Spar since 1975 or a little later uh, with playing, which would be like 1980. So. <laughs> and, and when did you become a guitarist? When I was very young, there was a show called Hee Haw, and I would stand in front of the my great-grandmother's television with a broom, and so she gave me a ukulele. I think I got a Mickey Mouse toy guitar when I was three, and then a ukulele when I was four, and at five, I started taking guitar lessons with a, a Brad Malinowski, who was the only person in Westminster, Maryland, that would agree to teaching a five-year-old guitar, which is terrible, because other instruments, violin or piano, people start early all around the world. So it's actually very good that he agreed to do that. <laughs> so, so yeah, hee-haw. So um, was it for you, uh, was it Roy Clark or Buck Owens? I don't know. I think that Roy Clark is the one I know more now. So I think 
But I definitely, something about that show, and I hardly remember doing this, but I, I do, when I see them now, and you can find little clips online and stuff, mm-hmm. it definitely brings back strange memories. It's kind of a strange show, actually. So There was some really good guitar playing. Hee Haw was a really corny show, but Roy Clark was an excellent guitar yeah, player. Yeah, amazing. Player. Yeah. And you, and you picked up on that. So you started uh, doing the same kind of picking that he was doing? I mean, as best you could? Mm, yeah. I think what I did mostly back then was strumming chords. I mean, it, I know that... When I was five, I was singing John Denver songs and playing along with them, and my teacher would take me out into the uh, main room of the music store and have me play for everybody. So whatever that means, I could do that then. And I was starting to write songs then, too. Well, you've got a guitar on your lap. Can you give us an example of what you might have uh, played back then? Oh, yeah. It would sound like this thing. Probably not as good though. I don't know. My guitar wasn't as nice as a... I wouldn't know to do this either. I would do that now. And I was really into the Dukes of Hazard too, so that would have been like another kind of bluegrassy thing. That show got me in trouble because now I have all these driving infractions as an adult. I'm sure it's because uh, I was watching Dukes of Hazard every day of my life <laughs> as a child. Um, you, you can't <laughs> just mention that and move on. What kind oh, of infractions? Oh, no, no, no. We can't go down that. <laughs> Every state I drive in, I have speeding tickets. That, <laughs> Wanted um, in 50 states. Yeah. Um, Good thing they're looking for a rap DJ and not uh, yeah, classical guitarist. That's true, yeah. <laughs> the, um, that kind of music, and, and that's weird because I went away from it and I came back to it now um, with the Dowerty piece, of course. It has all kinds of country influences and so some of the movements. You're referring to uh, Michael Dowerty's G's Bend that you're performing at the Cabrillo Festival, which has all kinds of Southern-style yes. guitar playing. yes. Um, concerto for electric guitar and orchestra. Yes. Yeah. Um, do you remember any of your your earliest compositions? Uh, no, I don't. I've, I think it looked like scribble, and it was probably two chords like D and G, but I don't know. I don't remember how it went or what it looks like, and I've lost the paper. So. What's the very earliest piece that, that you composed or wrote that you can remember? Remember to play? Yeah. I remember one I recorded because I had a four-track studio in my room, and a little drum machine, and uh, uh, I had a, I made a little album, and one of them was a song called Pretzels on the Floor, and I had my sister, because, uh, I don't know, we dropped pretzels on the floor in the basement, and my drummer made fun of it, so I would go like, pretzels on the floor. And my sister would go, pretzels on the floor. Something like that. And then another one, I don't remember the title, but that one went like... just repeated but I think at that point an album called Steve Vai Passion and Warfare had come out and he had all these like instrumental rock guitar solo things so I think I was kind of mimicking the Steve Vai Passion and Warfare album sitting around in 8th and ninth grade nice though it, it yeah. does sound uh, original and uh, <laughs> it's got some, some nuance to it well that's all I could do I was you know I was not not really learning my uh, multiplication tables and things <laughs> like that so sitting in my room playing guitar but you were a serious passionate guitarist from, from pretty early on yeah yeah, I always liked it, and I think later in life when I tried to get away from it, this sort of record label era when I tried to do paperwork stuff for music, it was a, a sort of a disaster for me and everybody around me. 
But you're saying you took a job and, 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 and actually pulled away from guitar playing for a while? Yeah. I, well, I played guitar and they had like a little studio in the record label and I would play guitar on like little projects, but I didn't write music. I definitely was like, I'm not going to write music, um, classical music. And my friend would even call me and say, oh, can you believe this person got that and all this thing that composers worry about. And I, I literally said, man, you're all fighting for crumbs. Forget it. <laughs> like, I don't want to hear about it anymore. <laughs> but then after, after after two years of real life, and then I was like, oh, classical people are actually really fun people to be around. And writing music at a, for people that are high levels of players is really rewarding. And you, there's something to communicate there with hopefully lots of people. Yeah. Um, so we talked about how at the beginning it was the idea that you would be a country guitarist. Um, did that uh, morph at some point then in your yeah. youth to rock guitarist? Beach Boys in fifth grade. That, Beach Boys. went to Beach Boys kind of stuff. And um, and then my friend invited me to go with his older brother who was in high school to an ACDC concert when I was in eighth grade. And I got you know into that. And then, then once I heard Van Halen, that's when I really liked Definitely, because I really like his guitar playing. Mm -hmm. so, yeah. Mm -hmm. Of all those people, he's the most, I think, musical guitar player. Um, you were growing up in Baltimore during this time. Is that right? Yeah, outside of Baltimore in a small sort of, I call it a cow town. Uh, because when I went to the Baltimore School for the Arts, I didn't think I was from the country. And someone said to me, could you walk to a cow? And I said, yeah, right down the street. It's like, you're in the country. So I grew up in the country, which they built a highway to it in the 80s, which by the time I went to high school in 1989... Um, you know, now it's it's 25 miles away from Baltimore. Oh, okay, so when I said in Baltimore, I was wrong about that. You were way on the outskirts. A little bit, the yeah, suburbs. It's yeah. Outskirts that became closer as I got mm -hmm, older. Mm -hmm. But you went to the Baltimore School for the arts. For the arts. At what age? Uh, whatever ninth grade is. So okay. Fourteen or fifteen. Yeah. 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 And this was um, pretty exclusive school for. Mm -hmm, art yeah, students. my class had 75 people in it. So there was a uh, music dance theater, and art. So being among all those kids, probably almost all of whom imagine they would be big stars someday. Yeah, yeah, some of them are now. So oh, yeah? It's pretty cool. Like, like who? I just missed out on being in school with Jada Pinkett. By one, she was a senior the year before I was a freshman. Uh, Tracy Toms, who was in this movie Th Fame. I was thinking about the movie Fame. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, it's kind of, well, it's not as dramatic as Fame, or at least I wasn't in the drama part, dra dramatic <laughs> part of the social life. Uh, Tupac Shakur went there at the oh, same time wow. as Jada Pinkett. Um, there are people who are on soap operas and stuff that I don't know. And then in the musical world, there is one, uh, Jason Ferrante is doing very well. Like he'll get called to do uh, an opera in China and just fly out and do that. And he's doing very well. And there's, there's is, a, is he a, a singer? He's a, he's a tenor. Yeah. A tenor, yeah. Same class as me. And then there's a, a Richard Green who's an opera. Yeah, we just had a, a reunion and there were lots of people are all working. And it, there's a school that has, when I was there, it had a 99% graduation rate that went to college of the, of the kids there. So, But you're talking 75 kids a year. But Still. Amazing because and all seven, artists. of 75 of them, at least half are from a, an area of Baltimore that you, know, you might see in the wire. So, so inner city Baltimore. Right. Like I was not, it was not like a private school where you... And Tupac went there before your time, a little before your time. Yeah. yeah, he was around the same time as Jada Pinkett. Wow. He was a theater major. Well, that explains it, because I always thought, man, this guy went from being, you know, a hip-hop artist to being a really good actor. He would have had he the was, acting training. He would have had With it. a lot of people that yeah. knew what they're doing, so. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
So tell me about the, the influence of being among all those kids, a lot of strivers, a lot of really talented kids, you know, on your development as an artist. Yeah. I really thrive in a, in a situation where people are go-getters and, and actually some competition. So when I went there and then I sort of saw these other instruments, I wanted to write for them. And that's one of the main things that happened with the kind of guitar composing combination. Well, when did classical enter the picture for you then as a guitarist? My high school teacher, who is a jazz uh, teacher, his name is Steve Yankee, he pl plays all around Baltimore. His theory about teaching jazz guitar playing involved learning classical pieces on a pick style guitar. And he also wrote lots of etudes and studies. So you're doing a lot more things than just sort of strumming and picking scales. And there's a lot of you know, pick jumping and he would have you, you know, in the same lesson, you would have to say and play through all of your, like, um, like he would have me go like G, C, G, C, E, C, E, G, E, G, C, G, C, E, C, E, G, E, G, C, G, C, E, C, E, G. But even like, you know, on E flat, E flat, C, E flat, uh, gets a little harder when you get, you know, you're crazy. But it, mm -hmm. in high school, I could do all that. Like I would mm -hmm. come into my lessons, like name and play all that stuff. And then at the same time, you would have to play like a classical piece. And then this would be a classical piece. But he would have me play with a guitar pick. So, you know, that kind of thing. So what kind of amazing education is that? I don't even know if he knew what he was doing. I think oh, he must know what he's doing, but it all kind of morphed. And then with this guitar rock stuff, and he was always like, oh, DJ, you're going to do that rock stuff. You got to do it right. You know, you can do it, but you got to study it the right way. Um, it, was he right about that? I mean, you know, most great rock guitarists didn't study it the right way. And yeah, so you great. don't really need to. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, you know, he he's, he had his way, which worked in well at the Baltimore School of the Arts, and that's probably why they would hire someone like him. Because otherwise, like when I was a kid, I think when my guitar teacher sort of was moving on from the music store, he was sent me this guy who was like, oh, yeah, you read music? Oh, that's cool, man. Like, well, we don't have to do that here. And I was like, I went home to my mom, like, he doesn't want me to read music. i got to get a teacher that, make, you know, that's kind of crazy. So... And then now the big thing is I saw Marin Alsop in Aspen and introduced myself to her. And she's like, oh, well, you read music, right? And I was like, yeah. <laughs> she's like, and then she said, well, well, most guitarists I work with don't read. So wow. please read because otherwise all this music I write will go away too. Cause someone's got to learn how to read music. <laughs> so, so. so DJ, you said that um, your teacher at Baltimore School for the Arts um, was teaching you to play classical using a pick. So I'm looking at your hands right now. You don't have the traditional long uh, fingernails uh, for plucking yeah. like a classical guitarist. Right. So how do you do it with a, with a single pick like you're holding um, right now? Well, you know, sometimes I do have those fingernails because so, I can do that. But you've caught me at a time where we just moved <laughs> from Boulder and packed. We, we brought all of my guitar gear in a car, dropped off the dogs at a kennel like almost in Kansas, drove back to Denver, got in an airplane, parked the car at like a... a long-term shuttle and in the mix I've lost my f two of the fingernails but I kept this one on my third finger because at the end of my piece on Wednesday night I have to um, do this let me see 
I don't know this piece, but I remember learning a little bit of, of it. Um, So like I can do that with a pick. That's not really that hard, but that kind of jumping around stuff is something we worked on. And then these pieces, um, there's another, this another Mangori piece which I'll attempt. So something like that, which you know I'm not, I'm not, I don't have that one practiced. But one of the things that he would have me do is like. You can sort of fake it, but oh, yeah. it's just like, you know, like getting. I can almost do stuff like. But, you know, it's not the same. It's not the same. But you're faking it pretty well by doing a kind of, um, uh, you know, very precise bounce yeah. from string to string. You're almost getting that sound of a couple fingers plucking. Yeah. yeah, but I don't have to do that very often. No. So that's that's a study thing. It's something you study. <laughs> there, there's none of that in any of the pieces I play in front of people. So. Uh-huh. Um, I was thinking maybe we could play an example of your you and your rock mode before uh, showing off some of your classical chops. Um, and uh, what would you say to my playing this? Tell us about that piece. When I moved back from Los Angeles uh, from working in the record label, I went to Maryland where sort of was like my parental home base, uh, you know, sort of regrouping. Uh, every every composer has a regrouping spot. Now, so. now, when you went out to work for the record label, that was in L.A.? Yeah. Yeah, and that was what record label? It was at the time called Hard Soul Records. Okay. Now it doesn't exist. Okay. <laughs> I don't know where anybody is. <laughs> okay, so... And anybody who's an investor is looking for the person as well as I am, so... So your, adve- your adventures in the business were over, and you went back to... Yeah, I went to back to Ma- Maryland and New York, and um, I uh, collaborated with a girl named Katie Robinette, who who uh, was in York, Pennsylvania, and, and we would just you know write songs and stuff. And this, she was working on some recordings, and... This was one of the guitar solos from one of those projects. So your um, your early love of Van Halen is evident there. Yeah, that was uh, they were encouraging me to do that because I sort of like the finger tapping stuff. I sort of put that in really f- in the far away, and I don't do that very often. But I have practiced that so much when I was a kid. So uh, sort of like you know, and then I got it so I could do it with two fingers. There were three fingers. Ooh, so, nice, nice. And actually, one of my um, one of the pieces I wrote when I was a freshman at Eastman had guitarist tapping, the poor guys, and also at the same time singing the top note. So they'd be like, or something like that, and then it made a chorale. But they, they were finger tapping underneath it on classical guitars. Uh, did, but it uh, sounded pretty cool. With your sort of um, multi-genre background from country to rock, then going to the Eastman School of Music, which is Classical. Real classical. And, yeah, uh, yeah and, and composing for classical guitar, did you give those guys fits by asking them to do stuff they'd never been no, asked to they, do before? No, everyone that plays classical guitar at some point has played, you know, they all have played electric guitar or something okay. like that. So, so there's that was no actually, such thing as someone who 
never gave a damn for rock or anything like that and just took up classical. If there is someone like that, they probably wouldn't have said yes to playing my piece on a composer's forum. So I think it would, by natural selection, I wouldn't have known that person. Um, but they were all really cool with that. And, and it was actually really funny because Joseph Schwander told, you know, showed me how to notate that. And he was using words like, in this movement, I've employed the right hand to articulate on the guitar in a new way. And it's not really a new way at all. It's, you know, Eddie Van Halen or, and or Jimmy Page did it first. So it's mm-hmm, mm-hmm. just old news. But in the classical world, it's an <laughs> extended technique. Yeah. Right. It's extended technique. Um, but guitar has all kinds of, you know, they do all kinds of crazy stuff. or like hitting the thing. So it's kind of natural to... It's not the same as having a cellist to do that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, well, I'm thinking this must have been kind of a, a big decision at one point in your life. The kid who dreamed of being country music star or a rock star decides to go to a school like Eastman, right. you know, serious classical Yeah, training. I thought I would never listen to pop music or rock music again. <laughs> I said, I'm not going to listen to any rock music when I go to Eastman. <laughs> Did you throw away your records? I didn't, yeah, I didn't take any, t- I didn't have any... I was just like, I'm going to be really classical. And um, then I got there and all these people I hung out with listened to all kinds of pop music. So <laughs> I was like, thank God. You know. I have a little anecdote for you. When I went to Oberlin, uh, actually in my senior year of high school, I swore off pop music too, thinking I was... You know, yeah, it's like pretending farts was, aren't funny. And then was, all of a sudden, you know, <laughs> like, you know, except for when girls are around, it's very funny. So, so I was going to be jazz and classical only. Right. I gave away my records. Oh, wow. I did. I gave them to my friend. And, uh, you know, I was turning over a new leaf, you know, yeah. uh, well, partly because I was growing up in a place I wanted to escape from. I wanted to escape from my old identity. I wanted to be a new person. And the same thing happened to me. I got to a place where there were great musicians. And one of my favorite musicians was a guy who just, he was both classical and jazz and funk. Right. I mean, so he did all three. And it was like, I felt like such an idiot for having become a snob when yeah. the good musicians, and this always seems to be the case when I meet great artists, they're very open-minded. Yeah, sort of snobbery is not going to do anybody any good in, in music. So uh, yeah. my yeah. version of that was I sold a Gibson SG, which I had been, my parents gave me, which looks like the one that uh, I didn't know, you know, this was a weird coincidence. Same kind of guitar that uh, the ACDC guy uses, but I got that in third or fourth grade as my first electric guitar, like a, a factory second version. And then I had this Kramer kind of crazy it looked like a big white star with a floyd rose and i sold both of those and i would i would love to have those guitars so now i don't get rid of any guitars and my wife says how can you have so many guitars and i say well i have an acoustic electric one classical guitar one steel string acoustic guitar and two electric guitars that's not very many guitars for someone who's 35 that's been playing guitar since they were five so mm. i kind of get stuck with one that and doesn't seem like a big collection no no but if you you know she has one viola so it's uh-huh um so you get to Eastman, you find out the guitarists there are open to all kinds of music, and your um, your idea of swearing off pop music was sort of uh, wrongheaded. Yeah. Did you then open up and start reintegrating all that material that you learned and loved for so long? Yeah, and what I think that it sort of was great, because Joseph Schwander was a guitarist growing up, so he would say that sort of the, um, the sort of Joseph Schwander sort of ringing... That sound, he would say that he's like orchestrating a guitar strum. So right away, freshman year, and then you find out like Barry Lewis played guitar and like Verity did too. So it, there's actually all these like kind of secret g- composers out there. And nowadays, there's you know everybody's got a guitar, mm-hmm. especially the ones in New York. So and, they, uh, and, and, <laughs> and then you remember that you know um, classical wasn't always thought of as as stodgy and traditional. These guys were 
in the past. Rock stars. Liszt was a rock star. Paganini was a rock star. That's my star. favorite. Paganini is my favorite one. Yeah. Yeah, he's there, awesome. There's some kind of weird Paganini, Eddie Van Halen, Steve Vai mm-hmm. connection in my head that that I really appreciate. And then now I don't ever worry about combining anything mm-hmm. because it's just going to happen. And I sort of feel like the the crew of composers that takes their avant-garde music and then puts a drum beat under it, I hate them. So I'm just going to say it. Like, I can't stand it. It's lame. So, like, either go join a rock band and mm. get traffic infractions like the rest of us who play rock or just write your avant-garde academic music. But don't fake it by yeah. simply adding a oh, drum track. It's so lame. Yeah, no, yeah. Uh, the yeah. classic, it'll be like... I mean, I can just do it now. So, you know... Send that to Brooklyn. And this is the 7th Avenue Project with your host, Robert Polly. Today, my guest is the guitarist and composer, DJ Spar. He was in town recently performing at the Cabrillo Festival of Contemporary Music, and he stopped by our studio for some conversation and some tunes. And we're listening to one of his live performances here. This is from Paul Lansky's Dance Tracks. And now back to today's interview with guitarist and composer DJ Spar. So you're saying that when you compose, um, you're not thinking genres at all. It's sound. It's That's what you're about. Yeah. I mean, I realize it's going to be on a classical concert. Okay. And then I will put it in a category of, is it an orchestra piece or a wind ensemble piece or a percussion quartet or a string quartet? And uh-huh. that's pretty much it. And that's just what you're writing. Uh-huh. Um, do we have a good example of... Um, of one of your compositions for classical ensemble that we could play right now? Yeah, I think Daka Deka Gaffa. Let's do that. So that one would say that, you know, straight up the guitars are just playing like a D chord to start with, and then the things are developing around it. So what kind of ensemble is this for? This is for flute, sort of, it can be a chamber orchestra or chamber ensemble. You can do it with an amplified solo strings, or you can do it with a string section. And who are we going to hear performing it? Uh, this is a recording session that I did in Richmond with um, some of our friends from the Richmond Symphony. And I played the guitars, and it's sort of a multi-tracked uh, version of this piece. Okay, so Daka Deca Gaffa. Yeah, which the chords in the piece are D-A-C-C-A-D-E-C-C-A-G, A minor, F F minor, A major. So that's, that's the title. It just takes nine minutes to do that, yeah. <laughs> okay, here we go.
so that was you and uh, some strings, winds, and percussion, right? Yeah, there are two percussionists, three winds, and three strings. And there's a couple of things in there that are related to pop music. So in in great the great one of the great guitar sounds you can hear are the two guitars playing the same thing, panned hard left and hand, panned hard right. So in this piece, the two guitars play the same music, one on the left, one on the mm-hmm. right. One's a 12 string, so you get like a little extra flavor of the octave doublings. And then that sort of forms the bed that the piece is built on. What I was trying to do is my, my compositional goal for this piece was to expand the pacing of the harmonies by making myself, because in modern music, people change harmonies so fast now. Um, I mean, people edit commercials faster now. Everything's faster. So I, I like to sort of go with a more Eastern philosophy of expanding the harmonic progression so that the, I think, 16 chords or whatever, however many numbers are in the title, last for nine and a half minutes. Mm-hmm. I ruined it by making the violins and strings go twice as fast through that progression. <laughs> then I doubly ruined it by every time the winds arpeggiate, um, they go through each section. So in the DACA, they do a D major, A major, C, C, E, real fast. So it sounds like a bunch of notes all at once. But you know, at least for me, it was a way to get you know some notes on the page and get an inspiration for a piece. And actually, what I find interesting, and I'll go just go ahead and say this. Um, People think that there isn't an academic idea behind music that sounds like this, but it's 100% academic. It's, here's the chords, they're going to take this long, each one of them is going to be this much shorter than the one before it, the strings are going to do twice as fast, and then the winds are going to do every single time. That's the same as like a atonal piece. It's right, just right. Well, why, why would people think that, I mean, academic's a little bit of a dirty word, but why would, think, why would someone think there wasn't a kind of structural intention behind a piece like that? Someone actually said that, uh, and a reviewer wrote, it sounded like the piece had some pre-compositional thought, but that it ended up just sounding like movie music, and they thought a better uh, title would be Cinderella in Laredo, see, which is now snobbery. I'm going to write a piece called Cinderella in Laredo. Yeah. yeah, That sounds good. You got an idea for Cinderella in Laredo? <laughs> yeah. When I'm very famous, I'll write an opera from the Met called Cinderella in Laredo, <laughs> which sounds like a good opera. And then that person will have given me the bad review, which gave me the title. Isn't that sick? That's sick. You've got to get back at dumb critics. No, actually, I really like that person. It's just, it was pretty, pretty, um, it's pretty, I just thought it was funny because it really is just as thoughtful as the music that sounds not good. Sure. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, or at least good to the average, you know, the non in the business person. Right. But, you know, this issue of snobbery comes up so much, I think, when we deal with the music establishment, with the critical world. Uh, a lot of people, you know, a lot of us, it took a while to kind of get this out of our system. Right. Exercise these standards we think we should, we should, we should impose yeah. on music. The, you said the music that's not good is though it has no principle driving it, whereas the music that's good has a principle that drives it. But that's not going to help you differentiate between yeah. good music and bad. No. Yeah. And there's lots of good music about what I'm saying is bad music. Exactly. Too, so. Yeah. What, there was a point in my life, and I know the exact moment that I just decided I wasn't ever going to worry about anything that was a hang-up coming out of being like a composer and going through school for 10 straight years. And when I worked for the record label in Los Angeles, my boss was going through heroin withdrawal, and I went, for some reason, I was an idiot, drove him to some place where he wanted to get some money from some girl living with a guy, I won't say his name, uh, you know, and then basically one thing led to another, and the guy who was living there called me up and said, your, your, well, I can't say his name, your boss has gone crazy, come back and get him. Well, I'm a dummy. I went back to get him. And then turns out he had tried to take a knife 
and get the money from the girl, and the guy who called me was standing on the street with a gun. And I looked at him and I said, hey man, this is not my scene. I want to take my car, and I'm going to go back to Santa Monica. And if you want to kill him, you can. So at that moment, I said, you know what? If I want to write a G major chord, no problem. Like, what, like you know what? At that point, if you want to go, you know. Why, why can't I do that? <laughs> so maybe it's like some Buddhist philosophy or something, or like some moment of enlightenment, but... I don't know. That that really was the moment I was like, oh, like why wouldn't I just write what I want to write? Well, it's funny because there, there is this, you know, the, there is a certain elitism that attaches to a classical background so that even in the rock world, you know, it's almost a joke. You'd say, he's classically trained. You know, yeah. he's a heavy metal guitarist, but he's classically trained. Yeah. When I was making <laughs> some money a few years ago playing in a cover band in Southern Virginia, and they said, oh, what do you guys, what do you classical people do? You sit around and like drink wine and, che- and eat cheese. And I was like, oh, I kind of do actually. Like, <laughs> pretty good i was like you should try it but um but uh you know like like in, when i lived in la i didn't tell anybody it was the last thing i would ever tell anybody is about all the training i had because hmm. there's all these interactions there about you know and i was a little old to go there without a job and just see if i could make it happen hmm. um, most people with doctorates don't just run down to la and try to be interns at a record label <laughs> but so I, you had I'd, a full-fledged uh, phd doc, doctor of musical doctor arts. of music okay yeah. Uh, from University of Michigan. Right. Yeah. The world you inhabit now is not the world of rock bands. No. It's the world of orchestras and string ensembles yeah. and things like that, right? Yeah, it's the world of, you know, I have a studio in our house and my wife is in an orchestra and, you know, I travel for, for either to play guitar or to hear my music and there's not much rock band stuff going on that is, um, you know, and that's kind of recent. I mean, as as more close as a year or two ago, I was in a band in Virginia just sort of playing in bars and stuff. So oh, okay. it's fun, fun to do that. Um, but, you know, the thing is, it's, it's I have to, I have so much music to write now that I don't have time to, and luckily I have some, you know, some funding is coming in for the pieces, so I don't have to play the sort of Friday, Saturday honky-tonks in Virginia to to, and, to help pay the mortgage. <laughs> and, and you don't have to worry about your players uh, ODing and not showing up for the gig. That's true. On the other hand, you still get to play all kinds of popular music. Uh, and, and a good example is this concerto that you came to Santa Cruz to perform, uh, G's Bend, written by Michael Doherty. Um, and, and this uh, piece hasn't been commercially recorded, so we don't really have permission to play um, some of the performances you've given with orchestras. But um, you do have your guitar, and you can at least give us a little sampling of some of the kinds of guitar styles you play in this concerto for electric guitar and orchestra, G's Ben by Michael Doherty. And uh, just by way of background, this piece was inspired by the, the quilters of G's Bend, Alabama, these African-American women who make these magnificent quilts. Um, and Michael Doherty went down, saw them do some quilting, and wrote this piece and um, incorporated a lot of sort of southern guitar styles into the I think four movements of this piece yes yeah yeah so each each uh, movement has a little bit different thing in the first movement he has three chords which make the main theme that the guitar plays and then in between some of those articulations of those chords you can do a couple like a measure to a some kind of bluesy something like that, which is improvised. And then that pretty much is the whole movement because there's a lot of interaction with the orchestra and it ends with a big cadenza, which I just, you know, I just make it up on the spot. 
And sometimes I'll go... Something, you know, throw a little of that in there. The conductor in Dayton really likes that, Neil Goodleman, but I'm not... I'm not sure what I'll do this weekend. The national anthem. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, just because it's like a Jimi Hendrix. Right. Exactly. Movement. A little homage to Jimmy. Right. Then the the second movement is really nice because it starts with a thirty second long. I can't do it uh, right now because I use a volume pedal to fade in on the note. Oh, I might be able to do it. Kind of like that. Sort of faking it in the, in the studio here, but and then the strings come in, and then there's a really beautiful melody that goes back and forth with the strings. You know, and then there's like it's really like kind of southern, and I think of it as like a hot, steamy, kind of really hot sort of what Virginia probably feels like right now, kind of night. And then the third movement, I'm really just an accompanist for the for the wind section. So that's like a quilting bee where they're doing all these different melodies that overlap and stuff. And me and the washboard player just sort of like doing this kind of thing like that. Over and over again. You know, and then the, so the wind's going crazy. Then the fourth movement, which I really think is where... Um, we're going to hear like the most kind of like obvious rock guitar stuff is this sort of a southern rock chicken picking is what it's called right there the orchestra would come in and then at some point it's like So like that, you nobody know, knows the troubles. Yeah, he's got that and um, swing, swing low, sweet chariot. Well, you know, I wish I could sing and play at the same time, but uh, it's a little harder. And then, uh, and then there's a real kind of a uh, rock thing that comes in there. Then in fifth. And then that's like with strings and everybody going crazy. And then he does the Jimi Hendrix chords with that. So, nice. yeah, and then it gets kind of cool. And then by the end, you're really... By the end, it really gets... Um, everybody's going crazy with the, with the spirituals and stuff. And the reason for that is the, the women who are making these quilts would sing spirituals while they were making them. So... big thing and I can make big things and then of course my guitar will be in tune for the concert so we'll uh, you know and then then I get a really big cadenza at the end which uh, you know maybe there will be a commercial recording someday so you'll have to find it and <laughs> I download hope so. it so there's, there's a chance there's a, there's a chance but I, there's nothing official as of right now so. now the composer Michael Doherty and you know each other because he teaches at the University of Michigan and you studied there in grad school yes and so he got to know your capabilities um, and, and he wrote this piece with you in mind, isn't that right? 
Yes, he was asked by the Alabama Symphony to write a piece that had a rock guitar in it, and I weirdly was at the in Chicago at the Midwest uh, Orchestra and Band Clinic, Conductor Clinic, and went to dinner with him instead of going out with a bunch of people, younger people, for drinking. And he said, oh, I'm writing this piece with guitar in it. Would you be interested in playing it? And I was like, yes, I would. <laughs> so what what became a commission for a piece for an orchestra with an electric guitar in it, uh, he, he'd, he'd had lots of ideas, and, and I went to Ann Arbor, and went to a studio for two, I think just two days in a row and um, played through his ideas and we sort of he came up with like lots of other things because when you know it was in the room so um, that morphed into I, I kept saying like well how how much is the guitar going to play because it seemed like the guitar part was really huge and I was thinking like man I really want this thing to be I, I, I didn't know if he even knew he was writing a concerto but I think he knew he was but he, I never knew and certainly I wasn't paid like a concerto person for the Alabama gig. So, <laughs> but when it came down to it, uh, you know, I don't care about the money. I was standing there. I would have swam across the Cheese Bend River to go play that <laughs> concert. So, cause that's why we're here right now. So then it became, I said to the conductor, I said, where, you know, where do you think I'll be sitting? He's like, no, I think you'll be standing at the front. I'm like, okay, so it's concerto. Mm-hmm. So it sort of morphed and, uh, you know, he would know more about how that all worked out. But, but, I just, I, but I'm, I'm saying that, you know, he, when he wrote this, he needed someone who could play with an orchestra, who could, you know, really assimilate the music that he wrote, thus classical background would be good, right? But also could master or already had mastered all these techniques from rockabilly and blues and who could improvise. And, you know, that's a special kind of person. Isn't that right? It seems to make sense. All that stuff my high school teacher made me do, you know, it's kind of all (laughs) coming together plus composing. Yeah. I, there, you know, I hope there's no one else who knows how to do it. But <laughs> <laughs> I like playing the piece, but uh, you know, there are people that could do that, but 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 not that many. I guess not. Not I that mean, many who play with orchestras. Right. You know that world and could yeah. you know play the licks that you just played. I'll, I'll agree with you, <laughs> but I don't want to say it. I already feel guilty saying it a little bit every now and then in interviews. But but um, you know, my 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 goal is to is uh, you know, it seems like all the things are sort of. You know, and this is what should happen in one's life, I guess. You know, as you you push into the middle of it, your your things are coming together in a way that you can make a make a constructive contribution to whatever you know your choice of contributing to the world is. So, just say it, DJ. Save the world. That's what you <laughs> yeah, want to say. Save the world with <laughs> with a bend on the G string. Um, well, DJ, I'd like to get back to um, some of your own original compositions, uh, and we have a couple movements here from a piece that you composed. Tell us about the uh, the piece and these excerpts we're going to hear. Right. This piece um, is the, the oldest piece that I have right now that is still available to play. Um, and it's been being played a lot, and probably because it has a guitar in it, and I play it with other people. The title is Vim Hockett Calm. The first movement is called Vim Hockett. And I was in sort of a Louis Andreessen phase with uh, these sort of, like, he has a piece called Halt. And, you know, he does these, like, 16th note um really fast arpeggios that have echoes behind it. So I was, it's sort of my version of that. And it uh, was written for a friend at Eastman. And this would be the first piece that once I was at Eastman, I played and I wrote for myself to play, which then you know became something that um, I embraced more going through Michigan and, mm. and into now. So mm, Yeah, we should remind listeners that you went to the Eastman School of Music in Rochester, New York, and then you went on to do your graduate studies at the University of Michigan. Sure. So um, we have bits here from two movements. One's called Vim Hockett, and the other is called Calm. Right. Mm-hmm. 
So um, excerpts there from two movements of, um, what's the overall piece called, DJ? It's called Vim Hockett Calm. Okay. <laughs> and that, uh, those, that recording is I played with, a, in Nashville, there's a great group called the Alias Ensemble. I wanted to thank them because they've been really supportive. Um, so so uh, it's called Vim Hockett Calm, the whole piece, and we heard um, first Vim Hockett, which is one movement, and Calm, the second movement. Right. A duet for you on guitar and violin. Who on violin? Uh, in that concert, that is Allison Gooding. Oh. And then, uh, you know, I've been playing it with a few different places. And at Cabrillo, I played it with Justin Bruns. Uh-huh. And then uh, in, in the future, I'll play it with uh, Karen Galvin at the New Music Raleigh. And so uh-huh. just something that I can easily transportable. Yeah, I only so, need two musicians. Yeah. Um, beautiful lyrical piece. Thank you. Yeah, I think that was the sort of beginning of like what I... The sort of like, you know, that's a G major chord right there. The years before I knew I could just do it. So the... Uh, <laughs> and, and when you say you, you before you knew you could do it, you're, you're saying because it's such a popular uh, user-friendly chord... It's the that, best guitar chord. I mean, it's, yeah. Yeah, it's the whole half the string. Exactly. <laughs> but, but for a long time you thought, oh, that's just too... Right. Too mass market, right? Well, you just... I don't know. I don't know why you wouldn't. You just, <laughs> but you're just saying that. there's some. You are saying there is some snobbery right. about playing that uh, in the elite world of you know yeah. cutting edge composers, right? Either that, or I have a hang up about. Or it. Or you have a personal yeah. hang up. But okay. I don't anymore. But you're over I'm it. I'm telling myself I don't. Thanks to <laughs> thanks to the uh, the heroin and gun um, yeah. episode that you described earlier. Yeah, I don't like that anymore. Yeah. <laughs> the more G major chords, the less of that. That's. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, and now for a change of pace, um, harking back to your, your true classical training, um, we've got uh, an example here from something you call guitar folio. Yes. This was my uh, master's degree dissertation at the University of Michigan, and one of the um, I had an opportunity to perform it myself with the orchestra, and this is from the concert. Oh, don't fade so fast. Yeah. It's getting uh, going there. Yeah, that's going into the last movement, which is called Valhalla VH, which used to say Valhalla Van Halen, and I sent it into the BMI Student Composer Awards, and I didn't win. (laughs) And the next year, I called it Valhalla VH, and I won. Well, you won. And your (laughs) dissertation passed, too. You got your degree. Yeah, that passed, yeah. Yeah, I would have passed you. And that was a a great experience, playing that concerto, because it's it's an incredibly nerve-wracking thing to go through for the first time. And I played it from memory, which is like, you know, crazy. Because I wanted to not do it from memory, and my friend was like, "No, your own piece in a concerto. You have to, you have to do that." 
And um, and you can't blame the composer for any problems. Cause right, yeah. It's you. It's hard to sit there as a composer and a performer. <laughs> and that was where I learned to sort of, you have to just separate once uh-huh. you're sitting there and let the conductor take a, take charge. Hey, DJ, um, we, we've talked about a lot of your, your music for performance in the public. Is there any music that you play for yourself, um, like old songs that are just sort of comfort music for you? Okay, I have one. It's called. Um, uh, I don't know if you could. Maybe they'll sue us. I don't know. We're not making any money today. So um, there's a a, a piece called um, "Women in Love" by Van Halen. I play that one a lot. Mm. And then... Um, There's a lot in there. Yeah. Well, all these chords are really... They can sound good for orchestra, too. And then when he goes up here and does it here, a little higher, so it's... Uh, and then he does that all that with, like, finger-tapping octaves. Which, in the studio here, doesn't really come off, because you mm. need some electronics behind mm-hmm. it. So, stuff like that from the old days. Um. Uh, DJ, I understand that recently you've been uh, working with like youth symphonies with uh, right. younger musicians. Yeah, for the past two years, uh, bef- before I start the the residency with California Symphony Orchestra, I've been the composer in residence with the Richmond Symphony's Education and Community Engagement Department, and in in that process, I wrote uh, th- three pieces for their youth orchestras, which are companion pieces. The first one is Many Worlds. The second one is Schrodinger's Cat, and the third one is the Wow Signal. And the way it works is the Schrodinger's Cat and Many Worlds are based on the same measures and the same harmonic progression, but Many Worlds sounds, that's based on um, the idea of multiple universes, so it has like a big washy kind of spacey sound to me. And then Schrodinger's Cat, which is for the youth strings, sounds like a kid's piece about a cat. And then what happens in, in the Wow Signal is the little kids play with the adult or the older youth orchestra the same piece that they've practiced and they play it with the older youth orchestra and then everyone downs, downloads onto their iPods or whatever playback they have an electronic track that plays it together and it makes the wow signal which is at the uh, pardon my French Ohio State University they had a satellite pointed into space and there was one time that they got a signal they can't understand the fellow circled it with a red pen and wrote wow so that is uh kind of combining these many universes with the the Schrodinger's cat theory, which is about many universes in with this sort of extraterrestrial thing. So so shall we play um, a little sequence uh, of excerpts from your work with the Richmond Symphony Youth Orchestra? Yeah, uh, and, and you'll hear how these all go together. It should be pretty pretty cool. Great. Well, on this show, we do a lot of physics. We've talked about some of these things, uh, and so this is a perfect fit. We're going to hear many worlds, a little bit of that, a little bit of Schrodinger's cat, Some people say Schrodinger, some say Schrodinger, and then the wow signal. Thank you.
So those were um, three short samples from a work you composed uh, for the Richmond Symphony Youth Orchestra and played Correct. by the Richmond Symphony yes. Youth, Youth Orchestra, Richmond, yes. Virginia, where you live. Uh, Many Worlds, Schrodinger's Cat, and the Wow Signal. Cool. You'll have to explain the physics to us some other time, huh? Yes, we might have to call in one of your previous guests. Well, DJ, it's been uh, you know a real pleasure to talk to you and, and just to listen to you just express ideas, not only in words, but also on your guitar. Oh, thanks. Yeah, no problem. I really appreciate being here. Thank you. Thanks. DJ Spar. He performed last night at the Cabrillo Festival of Contemporary Music, and we'll be broadcasting that concert here on KUSP on Tuesday, August 23rd at 7 p.m. It's part of our ongoing Cabrillo Festival broadcast. You can learn more at our website, KUSP.org. And by the way, I, I wanted to explain a comment that uh, DJ made a little while ago in our interview. The, uh, pardon my French, Ohio State University. It took me a few minutes to figure out that pardon my French remark. And then I remembered that uh, DJ went to graduate school at the University of Michigan. So Michigan, Ohio State, enough said. This has been the 7th Avenue Project. I'm Robert Polly. I'll be back next week. We're on the web at 7thAvenueProject.com. And let's finish up here with a little more of DJ Spar's music. This is a composition of his entitled Catch the Catch Ken. <laughs> ¶¶ 